Well, Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Uh, good. A little, uh, not hungover, uh, travel hungover is the right word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we, A little jet lagged. Uh, yeah. Flew up to Anchorage for the um, Alaska Wild Sheep Banquet that was Saturday night. So flew up there, got in at like 1 a.m. Friday night. Uh, we did uh, Saturday. We actually got out and did a nice, me and Boshma and then uh, Mark Rowanhurst, the, the guide, you know, for your mountain goat hunt. We went out and got a really cool hike in right outside the town of Anchorage. Got a couple thousand feet in and just those mountains are freaking beautiful. We saw some moose up there and there was people that were hiking up next to us and skiing back down. And I was like, damn, I wish I had some skis. That looked, it was like, looked really fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did the banquet. It was, a, it was a good time. We had a little booth there in the corner and I brought up some K4 packs for people to see and try on. And we did a, uh, I loaded the pack up with, when it went to Lowe's and bought a sandbag and there was a raising money for the sheep foundation, you know, that we did, uh, you know, put, put the pack on and guess the weight. And it was funny. Cause it was, I think it was 68.2 is all, but it was a super dense bag of, of, um, rock. And so it just was really deceiving how it felt. You know, there's guesses from, from literally 48 to like 90 pounds. It uh-huh. was quite the, quite the range, uh, but that was cool. We were able to raise some extra funds for the Alaska sheep banquet. Um, and then yeah got got up early sunday and flew home but with flight delays and all that didn't get home till pretty late last night yeah that's something i think in the i don't know the past handful of years we've donated a pack to that event and i think it was just a cheap show in reno this year uh we were talking and you're like heck i'll just fly up there for the weekend right is that how that came together pretty much yeah yeah not a whole lot of strategy behind it It it's just yeah let's check it out and it was good it was great there was definitely some guys that i've you know chatted by phone or email or social media with and to actually put a face to the name and chat with was super fun i always enjoy that and got to meet some new people and we've never really you know because our marketing strategy is you know we're not running a lot of print ads or, or any print ads period or anything like that that there's uh certainly it was it was fun to be up there because there's a lot of people who are like who's exo i've never heard of you guys right and uh so that was that's cool and exciting to see for me that there's still more customers out there well this is a, a monday minute episode which are the shorter more informal q a episodes where we answer your listener questions uh which is what we'll do here uh speaking of informal steve did you happen to listen to jakey's podcast recently <laughs> i did dude <laughs> <laughs> on the flight up i packed some headphones and i just downloaded some podcasts just to kill the time on the flight and i was cracking up when the, when you're like debating if i was going to listen to it or not you know and you're like no of course steve will listen to the first one just to check in on us uh, <laughs> i was dying laughing. it's like yeah pretty much yeah. a little uh you know give it, it was a little too informal for my tastes that as you mentioned <laughs> that we want to every episode should be there should be information in there, right? Like the yeah. goal of the entire podcast is, is more information than just like pure entertainment. So yeah, I'll, I'll like, you know, we'll let Jake keep doing it and just steer him in the, in the right direction to, to make sure <laughs> that the listeners are taking something away from it, but I'm not going to yeah. rip the rug from underneath him just yet. <laughs> well, he will be relieved to hear that. Cause he'll probably listen to this to like, then it's funny now we're having like uh, employee feedback, but only through podcasts at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did yeah. uh, actually get a lot of good feedback on it. So people liked it. Good. We'll keep doing it for a while and, and see where it goes for sure. 
All right. So first question, Steve, um, just to dive right into it. This was one that came through actually in a, a comment on an article that we put out last week. Uh, I guess at this point, we haven't talked about it on the podcast. If you listen to the podcast and also get our emails, for example, maybe you've seen this article. But last week, we put out a write-up, uh, kind of just called it Behind the Design, um, but really just kind of documenting K4 uh, and showing some examples of prototypes and yeah, just giving people a behind the scenes look at what K4, um, how it's come together, basically. But there was a comment that was left. Uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing. I think it's a great question to chat through. This guy says, I plan to buy the K3 this year, but after seeing the new K4 product, I'm a bit torn on what pack will work best for my body. Uh, he said, in a podcast I listened to a few weeks ago, I got the impression that for individuals who have a larger curve in the back, the K3 will be a better fit, as it was mentioned that a lot of individuals who did not have as much of a pronounced curve um, complained about the fit of the K3. My takeaway was that you are going to listen to that feedback and address this in the K4 design. So my question is, would you say that the K3 or K4 fits better for people who have a more pronounced curve in their back profile? Good question, Steve. What are your thoughts? It's kind of at the core of one of the biggest challenges designing K4 for me, right? And we've talked about this was addressing the slipping issue, but at the same time, not you know fixing it for those people, but not making it worse for the other people, right? And that was, that was, that was certainly for me, like, like I, I did talk about where I had to almost design K4 where it was slightly more pressure than I would like for my back curve that, you know, if I was just doing a pack for myself and myself alone, it's a slightly more pressure than I like, but it's also, it's incredibly comfortable for me. I, I mean, certainly K4 is more comfortable for me than K3 at the end of the day through kind of all the performance range. There's just sometimes when it, that initial, I put it on, it's like, yep, yeah, there's pressure there. But then after about I hike for you know a hundred yards, it feels just absolutely fantastic. So for this guy, I would say uh, there's going to be a good example of this is the, out of the 150 that we built this last year, I, there's, there was one guy who asked for a softer foam in the lumbar pad, just to kind of back off the pressure a little bit. And so and that's kind of the, it's the complete opposite of, of K3, right? Like where it's, uh, you know, 10% of guys asking for basically asking for less slipping, which part of that is just more pressure on the lumbar. Uh, this so we basically flipped the tables on that. And I think, I think this ratio is going to hold pretty true of 1% are going to ask for a little less pressure, but I don't think that that means K3 is the better solution. I think, I still think K4 is going to be better. I just need to back off the pressure and, and play with the density in the lumbar foam. Yeah, I think yeah, that's... it'll be it'll be interesting to get you know once we just get a larger sampling size by the end of this year. Is it not one frame isn't going to fit every single body shape that exists out there, right? I you know part part of the challenge is is getting it to fit as many people as possible, and that's why there's so many adjustments built into it. And you can really get into the weeds once we start playing with the, the lumbar foam densities and things like that. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what uh, when we get you know 
thousands and thousands of these suckers shipped out and in use this fall and what uh, what goes from there yeah i always find it helpful like with with this conversation to think of a bell curve right because people talk about like a flat back or a curved back like it's very black and white and it's very this or that but in all reality while there's some variation there's really a big norm or there's a big middle ground um that people you know just are pretty common and then you have like these smaller extremes of that bell curve on either end where guys either truly do have kind of a different build or honestly a lot of what comes into play with this as much as build as i think preference it's what guys want and expect to feel um Mm -hmm. as much as it is what their back profile is if that makes sense yeah yeah no i i agree with that cool so yeah i think that's a a good recap of that for guys who are wondering about flat versus curved back k3 versus k4 as you said with 150 plus people um on k4 there is one who we went with that softer direction and um that's easy for us to do if that needs to happen for sure yeah yeah we'll have just to prototyping process alone i've got piles of different foams but we'll eventually settle down on like one or two softer options that we can then send to people and let them play with but i think we'll certainly just start out you know that with k3 we just did stock for a while and to, and then we were doing you know when a customer came to us and asked for like hey can we this doesn't feel right can we play with it then it was like you know behind the scenes we were sending them a different foam and things like that and then once we figured out what was going to be consistent then we settled on that dense lumbar kit that we now sell on the website i imagine the same will be very true with k4 we'll we'll have the stock and then if anyone needs help we'll work with them you know through customer support and then eventually if we find a consistent pattern we would then offer that as like an option accessory to buy on the website for sale but that could take uh, most likely be a full year from now to at the very least once we actually kind of see what the you know what the demand for it is essentially and that going back to that email i think that was you know i got a lot of cool feedback on that and i know you you did too that one was a cool example of like if you're just getting the email, you'd probably think that's something that like we've been strategizing on for months and months and been working on. The reality is like Tuesday at like 11 a.m. You sent me a, a rough draft of that email and you had it pretty sweet and short. And I looked at it. I was like, this thing's like badass. And, and I was like, all right, Mark, just give me like till tonight. I was super busy that day. And then tonight I logged in, added a bunch more photos and content to it. Uh, or that night, it, you know, I was working till like 1130 at night. And then at 5 a.m. the next day, you get up. And of course, I'm, you know, you got to like rewrite all my captions because I, <laughs> my writing skills aren't near as good as yours. But you go through and just rewrite everything and and, uh, and then send the email off, you know, and that's it was a cool example of just how we kind of operate sometimes where things uh, they come they end up coming out really good but it was not like this super planned thing it was just last minute 11 o'clock at night i'm in there going digging through all the photos on my phone of all the different things i've taken over the last four years and putting something together and you polishing it up and sending it out and it's just uh it's cool yeah and it's fun like stuff like that because it's that's an idea that we've talked about right like oh it'd be fun to as we're working you know for really the last three years like let's just make sure we take photos and document some stuff. And uh, we did a decent job at that, I think. Uh, there's a lot more we could uh, capture and show, but it's fun for that to kind of come full circle and to be able to share that stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's continue. We guys, the questions coming through are great. Um, and so appreciate all those. There are, I think it's cool for me because there's a lot of detailed questions that guys want to hear about the nitty gritty. And again, that's the type of stuff we're trying to show in that article, but just to stay on the theme of kind of material choices and things like that. Um, this speak pipe came speak pipe question came through about the hip belt and some of the materials there. How is the breathability on the new K4 hip belt? I know I run quite hot and often sweat under the belt and I like the look of that belt and how it might distribute the weight better, but I would be a little bit concerned that I wouldn't uh, get a little bit warm and sweaty and maybe chafe under that belt. Um, it's kind of curious if anybody had any experience with that. Thanks guys. All right, Steve. So breathability, sweat, chafing, et cetera. Um, we can talk about that with the hip belts. That's clear what he was asking, but feel free to elaborate on other areas like the shoulder harness and things like that, where you're, you're looking at those different factors and how they relate to both design and material choice. Yeah, the on the shoulder harness, we, we our original packs, we use spacer mesh in the hip belt and harness because of breathability. And it wasn't something that we super vetted out. We just went with it because it, you know, it kind of makes sense. Oh, spacer mesh breeze dries quicker. And then at some point, you know, we were getting a lot of complaints about pine needles and debris getting into that spacer mesh and causing issues. And it, it's a, a, certainly a valid complaint. And then when we was, it would have been on K2 kind of reevaluated it. And I did a bunch of testing where I'd literally, so most of it was on the harness, but I would sew like one side with a solid fabric, one side with the mesh fabric. And I did really find in the harness that the spacer mesh does make a difference. And it's not, it, it just, it dries quicker. The, I would do hikes with like a, a gray shirt on and then, take the pack off immediately afterwards and take photos of myself and see like the the side with the spacer mesh was always consistently better than the side of the solid fabric as far as just how much sweat was going on and then just from a performance standpoint too i really like the spacer mesh and the harnesses you're you, you it climb something and it's 25 degrees in the morning and you're sweating on the back and then you take the pack off and set it down on the ground that spacer mesh just because it's not a solid surface that when you go to put it back on that it just feels dry even though it's still going to be wet it has a, a drier feeling you don't kind of get this like oh that's cold on, on your back where the solid fabric you do on the hip belt though that spacer mesh basically makes no difference because there's so much compression already once you because that's where the harness is really you know just floating Right. And there's, it's definitely just kind of moving back and forth and air is getting in between on the hip belt. That just doesn't exist. You're, you're cinching that sucker down tight and there's just no air getting in there at all. So whether it was solid fabric or spacer mesh was a, a moot point that the sweat was there regardless. The, as far as the larger belt on K4 versus K3 and increased surface area, I, I think it's probably reading into it too far. I don't, it's yes, it's a little bit bigger, wider at the you know at the hip, but really, yeah, the the performance gain of of that larger surface area and how that belt feels. If you were to say one was more sweat than the other, it's not even. It's kind of a moot point. 
one I was just thinking through on that blog, like one example of what you see in some of the prototypes was just the different types of spacer mesh and construction there. Do you want to elaborate at all on maybe what those options are, what that is, and how you kind of solidified what one we're running? Yeah, the, at the end of the day, we just stuck with what we've been using in K3. I played with, we went to, I had a really nice, like plush, soft spacer mesh that frankly felt really good. It was heavy. It added 1.8 ounces to the entire pack just right there in the in the spacer mesh in the shoulder harness. But it was really, it was really comfortable. We had the how the harness connects to K4, it's, it's much more rigid. You're just, when it Velcros to that frame panel, because it's that solid piece of the, the laser cut squadron fabric that we're using, the connection of the harness to the frame upper is just rock solid. We're on K3, there's actually two layers of Cordura, and even the, the as the harness connects to the, the face layer, you can grab it and like pull away from the, the frame itself. So there's a lot more kind of, play in there with k4 that doesn't exist and so it was one of the great things about prototyping and why you i've learned over the years we kind of have to prototype on a much larger scale to find stuff we had out of the 50 that we built of those pica frames where i use that thicker spacer mesh i think we had it's only three or four guys but it started out with one guy sending me a picture and, and the, the mesh was just all chewed up it looked like you know it just somebody took a fork to it and like stuck it into the into the mesh and it was like twisting the fork and peeling the uh, kind of pulling all the fibers of the spacer mesh out and I'm like that's really freaking weird and then it happened to another guy and another guy and then we figured out that it was actually the first three guys were running marsupial gear binocular harnesses and they had just how they have this the the harness for that vinyl harness the webbing sewn in the back, there's kind of a, a firm edge on the side of it. And like, Oh, that's, that sucks. Uh, you know, like the, that little corner of the webbing where it's folded over was just digging into the spacer meshes. You're hiking and wearing it all day long. And then we had Jake, Jakey Poo was one of the other ones and he had a FHF gear harness, but he had, he had grabbed a, a tri-glide from our warehouse and had put it on there to kind of contain the excess webbing and it was slid around and it was sitting right there on that harness at the same spot around his back. And so that was chewing up this, this spacer mesh in his. So rather than be like, Oh, that's not our fault. That's the binocular harness company's fault. We just like, like, like we'll go find a different mesh. So we just avoid this problem altogether. Uh, and that's what we did. And, but yeah, along the way I tried piles of other, I was looking for a spacer mesh with basically no, holes in it no big holes but still had the the mesh aspect of it where the the moisture can kind of like go inside and dry quicker and and give you a little bit of cushioning and just tried countless prototypes the guy at the spacer mesh company that we use i think they're out of ohio he was getting pretty sick of me because <laughs> so i'm just like <laughs> i mean for a couple of years i was like can i get a sample of this can i get a sample of this yeah because they they'll send me a little sample book that's like a three inch by four inch piece you know there's there's hundreds of variations of the meshes that they make and the you know i I'd get like two samples like ah, i didn't like this i didn't like that and at the end of it he's like what are you looking for exactly you know and i try to explain it to him and, uh, and then after all that I, I remember emailing him like oh he's gonna hate this but uh we're just gonna <laughs> stick with the mesh we've been using <laughs> and we're back <laughs> and we're back <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, 
it was pretty comical but that's just the that's the process that you got to go through man it just got to explore all the options out there to to know what's going to be the best fit and it was nice to go back to you know anytime you're using a we've had essentially zero issues with the space mesh we've been using on k3 it's just been a really great product for us and so it's nice to go back to something that you know that uh, you just have no worries about yeah we know how it's going to perform just like 500 e cordura like I know that's going to be bomb proof. The stretch fabric that we've always used, I know that's going to be bomb proof. I did have a guy up in a, up in Alaska there at the banquet ask about, he's like, is this uh, stretch fabric tough? And I, I was like, yeah, it's incredibly tough. And then we were, I was kind of recounting in my head, but I, over the last 10 years, we've had more warranty claims where on 500 D Cordura of like holes getting rubbed into the fabric than we have on that mesh or on the, the mm -hmm. stretch fabric. I think the, the stretch fabric is incredibly tough where, and the only time a hole happens is essentially you got to be on the, on 500 D Cordura, you have to have two metal objects, one inside, one outside. One of those has to be, and not necessarily doesn't have to be metal, but one of them has got to be like, it's got to be a very hard surface. And then one of those hard surfaces has to have a sharp point on it. So a good example would be like uh, a spotting scope. If you have a quick release plate on the bottom of the, the throw on there, some of those can have sharp edges, like a rifle scope rings, things like that. If you have two sharp objects or hard objects, one of them being sharp sandwiched in the fabric sandwiched in between, that's where you can run into issues. It's incredibly rare. It's just, you know, when you over 10 years, you just see a handful here and there, but there's certainly been more times we've had to sew a patch on Cordura than we have on the stretch fabric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, I mean, this is years and years and years ago, but it, you used to make me like nervous because you used to run your trekking poles tip down unprotected in the lower side stretch pockets, like with that carbide tip. And I'm like, man, right. that's crazy. It's just a matter of time before that's wearing through. <laughs> uh, and you did it all the time. And then finally, I was like, all right, well, let me see what happens here. <laughs> and, you know, because in my head, I was like, this is just a terrible idea, but Steve's doing it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it never caused an issue. But like you said, if that's not up against something on the other side, that's it's just very rigid it. yeah it's just smushing into it yeah and that's you, that would be if you had something a compression strap like on the top of the handle pushing it down into the pocket that could maybe be an issue over time but really you're just strapping the, the trekking pole to the side and it's just sitting down in that pocket and there's not tons of pressure pushing down all right taking a, a left turn from k4 uh, well actually kind of <laughs> we can talk yeah. about something k4 related <laughs> to this but taking a left turn from k4 um, the recent podcast we did, you know, with a rescue story, uh, with Kyle who fell and had to do a helicopter rescue and all that. It's definitely, um, something that sparked questions. Uh, we talked on last, um, Monday minute, I believe about costs and things like that. But some of the other questions that came through, um, had to do with inreaches and not only from that podcast, but that's something you and I talk about quite a bit, Steve. And this guy wanted to know where we keep our inReach and then specifically have we thought about why we keep it there not just like oh this is just the place I put it and I think he's just getting at um you know the pros and cons potentially of where you have it attached and accessibility and things like that so he mentioned you know do you have it attached to your pack do you use a clip or carabiner do you have a holster do you put it in your pocket do you put it in the lid um 
So talk a bit, I guess, about historically what you've done, and then you can also talk about a future option with K4. Yeah, historically with the bigger end reaches, it would have been in the in the pack somewhere, try to put it near the top of it. And I always wondered about signal strength. And um, I remember asking a friend of mine who's an engineer at Garmin, and I was like, is it, is it an issue? It was like buried inside the pack. He's like, well, yeah, maybe a little bit. But if you're, you know, as long as you only got like a layer of fabric between it and the sky, you're fine. So basically, if you just put it in the kind of on K3, I designed that pocket, which still exists on K4 on the final ones, the little pocket in the very top of the lid. And I was like, oh, that's a great place to to put that where it's, you know, at the, at the top of the pack and getting a lot of exposure. And then once the inReach Mini came out, I've been running it on my binocular harness and the thought there was my harness is on me more than the backpack right like because the harness always goes on first and the backpack goes on top of that and there's plenty of times where i take the pack off set it down and then go you know go hike to the edge of a cliff or something like that to go look over the edge and it's like okay that makes a lot of sense to me that the in reach is is with me on the harness the problem with that is i just kind of carabiner clip it to the side and it dangles around and it's kind of annoying so with K4, we with the Molly uh, that I put on the shoulder harness, that was certainly like, man, that'd be a great place to put the uh, put the inReach. So that's why we're making that inReach mini pocket that uh, attaches right to the shoulder harness. And uh, yeah, it's um, certainly like I said, I, the concept of it being on the binoculars, I think, is better. But it's just kind of a you know the one I've been using. The the it just dangles off the side and it's super annoying. So having it we got this nice pocket that i built and we put some i sold some prototypes up and took it to the shows for people to check out and actually cut a notch into the top flap that goes over so the antenna is sticking out and getting the best service possible and and as long as you're the cool thing about the whole cell phone in reach scene as long as i don't even know what the range is but i'm sure it's fairly far where as long as you got your cell phone on you you can do all of your in reach functions just because it's connecting via bluetooth and my phone is always you know, in my pocket. Yeah, that I haven't even played with this yet with those inReach holders you built, but the fact that it's Molly based, you could probably attach it to several bino harnesses as well if they have Molly. Uh, yeah, yeah. The FHF gear ones yeah. have Molly, I think. Side. The new the new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, same. I would say um I mostly keep it attached to my pack but i am more conscious to keep it on my bino harness or on my body if i'm on a solo hunt for example i do think Mm -hmm. about that a bit more Um, but if you're in a group hunt or even you and a buddy and you know you drop your packs i'm not saying it's you know i'm not saying you should leave it behind but in instances where you do separate from your pack if your energy is on your pack at least if you're with someone else you should hopefully have some sort of mobility if you have some sort of um, freak accident there. But solo, yeah, I would try to keep it more on my body. And then he mentioned, um, at least one of the guys that wrote in kind of with this question, mentioned that he was running the larger inReach Explorer and not the Mini. So that Mm -hmm. obviously um, changes what your options are. But I would say, going back to FHF gear, for example, they have, I think they call it their rhino and radio pouch um but it's it's not necessarily device specific it should fit the inreach explorer well just based on the general dimensions of that 
And that's certainly something you could attach to one of our packs or to one of their harnesses. So um, there's definitely options out there. Um, most commonly just from talking with customers, as you said, Steve, the lid is a super popular option, especially that small secondary pocket that works well. Um, and then the harness is, you know, probably the, the next most common option I see folks going with for sure. All right, Steve, uh, one last question that came through from speak pipe that I want to hit quick with you. And I didn't prepare you for this. Okay. Steven Mark, love the podcast. Always great to hear from you guys. Hearing all the questions about the K4 and all your comments about it. I actually have a question about the K5. Uh, I heard you say several times that basically as soon as the K3 came out, you started working on the K4. I'm wondering how much time do you give yourself to enjoy and appreciate the fact that you've put out a, uh, a brand new super awesome backpack that everyone is really excited about before you start working on the next generation of packs? A five, Steve, just hearing that makes me like have a higher level of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> the that's funny. Cause I've seen that on like social media on Facebook or something. Guys are just, you know, just for whatever reason for, you know, uh, some guys are just, I don't know what the right word is, but they're just, yeah, just weird. They're like, oh, I'll just <laughs> like, LOL, I'll wait for K six, you know, like, like we're just pushing product on people. And obviously if you're paying attention to us, that is the furthest thing from the truth, right? Like we, as I've said many times here, and especially recently, like our Exo Mountain Gears 15, 20 year mission is make the best damn backpacks we possibly can and take care of the customers in the absolute best way we can, right? We do those two things well, we execute those, we will have a long, successful, small business. And I very much want to remain small business. Like we've, we're seven employees right now and I hope I only ever have to get to like 10, right? Over the next 15 years. Like we say no to a pile of opportunities. You're not seeing us come out with, oh, pick on every freaking company out there right now that feels like the duffel bag market is this vast market that needs fulfilling because there's so many issues with duffel bags. Um, <laughs> just, it just drives me nuts. Um, like just stick to like make a stick to your core product and, and make them well. And that's our mission. So my commitment to, you know, our exo customers is I'm always going to be pushing and working and seeing how much more I can get out of a design and K4. I absolutely designed with the intent to run for four or five years. I want to, I, spent a lot you know i put so much effort into it so that we could run it for a very long time and i was trying to try to be forward thinking because i'm always working on developments right that in a year or two from now i didn't want there to be some new idea that popped in my head like oh my gosh i can't believe i missed that in the design if we if we just added that it'd be so much better right uh, so i really you know that's why i dove so headfirst into this project so we could run k4 for four to five years that being said yeah he's this guy's 100 right i'm already working on playing with concepts and um the next project i want to work on is something that's going to be like ultra light very niche you know like for basically for me uh, a very specific pack and frame for me that's like you know shaving the removing toothbrush freaking uh, not even the handle, but extra bristles off your toothbrush. is kind of light, you know, <laughs> <Extra> <laughs> uh, you know, this one thing that I've found is we just get guys, you know, the K4 for the weight that those things ended up at, they are 
I, they are incredibly tough. The the squadron fabric that we use, the just all of the military buckles we change to everything. Like these things are freaking bomb proof. And because we get guys who, you know, they'll bring a pack into us for a warranty claim, and it's just complete and utter abuse. I don't have any other words to put it. I don't know how you could get a pack to look like that, right? Like, just looks like they were strapped it, tied it to a rope, and drug it behind a four wheeler for two hundred miles through the mountains. They just get absolutely hammered. Uh, and so I have to design the packs with a lifetime warranty in that regard. Of they've got to be absolutely bombproof to hold up to the what some of these people put them through. And other people, you know, their packs like I know these guys hunt hard and they, they take care of their stuff and they bring it in after four or five years. And or I just see it, I happen to go on a hunt with them and I'm like, man, your pack's still still looking great. You know, and they just they just take care of their products, take care of their um, gear. So yeah, the next one I want to work on, it's probably at least three years away, uh, is something like super ultralight and play with that. But it, again, it'd be, I don't even think the reason I want to do it over three years is I going that light, what kind of durability can you expect from it? Cause I think it's, uh, you know, certainly going to be pushing the edge of it. And if we did it, I've talked about this in the past. I know on a Monday minute was I, I wanted to build a ultralight pack, but I just don't think you could put a lifetime warranty on it. Like the, the abuse that it's going to take, it's the guys who are buying it are going to understand the the limitations of ultralight gear. And we'll see. It may never, I shouldn't even be talking about it because it, it may never, ever make the light of day, right? That's something that I'll just kind of chip away and work on and see what happens. But K4, four to five years, I would say very confidently. Yeah, cool. Well, guys, appreciate the questions. Uh, once again, if you have a question for us, whether it's about K4 or not, um, you know, we're diving back into hunting tactics and other gear and all that stuff on future Monday Minute episodes. So just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for that link in the show description that says leave a message. And that's how you can leave us an audio message just like you heard on today's show from listeners. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive the future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.